0: Blog Talk Radio. It's happening
1: again. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. www.yagain.org and now your co hosts the forgiveness doctor Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice welcome welcome to Recovery Wednesday today is May the 25th 2016 and our calling number is 646 200 4169, press 1, and that puts you in queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and your questions because that makes this your show. Welcome, Michael.
2: Thank you, dear heart, and welcome, everybody. We're honored that you're with us once again today to inquire about the internal process of healing. As taught in the first century Aramaic and as brought forward through the first century studies of the work of Yeshua by the twelve step groups and there's so many uh, solutions or, or pardon me i should say pseudo solutions for a person who is in pain and resolves their pain or, pardon me, attempts to resolve their pain through some form of addictive process. And so, you know, behaviors are prompted from, for most people, unconscious dynamics. And all addiction has a tendency to keep us unconscious. And when we stay in that unconscious state, the behavior prompts simply sneak in and take over and one without any awareness at all continues with the behaviors that the last time they became conscious of them they were in such remorse having awakened from the stupor of their drug whatever the drug was there's remorse you know where everybody's quite familiar with the the remorse that the alcoholic feels after they wake up and realize what they've done, you know, finding out, you know, in that blackout, they did, you know, whatever crazy things. And they're like, Oh, I am so sorry. I will never do that again. Ever hear those words from someone? And then they go on their way. If they don't have any tools, if they don't have any support, which is what the 12 step work is about, which is what our, uh, being here is about is to support people without support when, and without tools, at least constructive tools. I loved Ron's insight yesterday that uh, he re- when he read the section on, uh, in my book on life without tools, he, uh, he made a, a big adjustment and that was realizing that he had all kinds of tools and they were primarily destructive and they were the tools that he was using. So if one doesn't have constructive tools with which to unload the behavior prompts and the emotions behind the behaviors that are destructive, one can have all the remorse in the world and that much remorse will guarantee that much more surely that someone's going to do that behavior when the stress is up and the chips are down and the anesthetic is being used. So, if you have someone who's in an addictive, actually they don't really even have to be in an addictive pattern, although most people turn to some turn to some form of addiction in order to handle unconscious pain when it starts to surface so if the person who says "I, I feel so badly, I will never do that again," doesn't acquire constructive tools with which to remove the energetic dynamics the thoughts and the feelings under the behaviors and the behavior prompts themselves then the next time they're back in that kind of stress and utilizing that sort of addictive uh, behavior then th- they're going to go right back and do exactly the same behavior it's, it's not going to stop so if, if you found yourself in that place of remorse over something you've got to do something to access what drove you to that behavior in order to be free of it. Otherwise, next time the stress is up and the chips are down, it's going to come back. There are several pseudo-solutions that the addictive mind uses to manage stress. And the, the basic idea here is that when one is under stress and doesn't have constructive tools to go into the root of that stress and bring correction then they'll use some form of, and and our our definition in this work of addiction is the use of any person, place, substance, circumstance, or activity to keep from hearing and following your highest guidance and or to keep from feeling what's real for you, dealing with it, and communicating about it. So uh, some of those pseudo-solutions, the addictions are, you know, hostility, the hostility addict. Uh, if you look, there's a there's a wonderful film. If you haven't seen it yet, we've recommended it several times. It's called Thanks for Sharing. Very powerful. Uh, for mature audiences, there's some fairly mature material in this movie. But they show several people involved in different forms of addiction, and in particular sexual addiction. And it just so clearly shows how the the first drug of choice that virtually everybody in the movie turns to is hostility. You know, when the stress is up and the chips are down, they all turn to their first drug and, and it's a tough drug to break free from because it's free. It takes a huge amount of commitment to say, I'm going to stop producing hostility. I'm going to stop using You know, the alcoholic can say, okay, I'm not going to the liquor store he gets into the stress and goes to the cupboard, and the alcohol isn't there. It's kind of tough to, to drink. However, the hostility addict has a free supply, and it's internally generated. It takes a great deal of commitment to overcome hostility. And if you watch this film, thanks for sharing, you'll see how perfectly they capture Every person who's getting ready to fall off the wagon, and there are different kinds of addictions that they show, every person goes into hostility first. That's the first drug of choice. And when that isn't strong enough to keep the underlying issues anesthetized and hidden, that's when they'll turn to a drug or alcohol. There are other addictions that are just as deleterious in their effects, but not so obvious. Food. If you use food in order not to feel, in order not to deal with something happening in your life, then you're a food addict. Sex. If one uses sex in order not to feel and not to deal with what's happening in their lives, then they've become a sex addict, a control addict. The stress is up and the chips are down. I'm not breathing. I don't want to look at I don't want to deal with this. And so I take control of something in my environment, or at least I attempt to take control And if that which I'm attempting to take control of my environment feeds back to me something that triggers the underlying issue that I don't want to look at, whoa, look out. That's the whole definition of a world where you walk on eggshells, the control addict. Then there's the love addict. That's the person who's always falling in love. Oh, I'm in pain. I'm in pain. If I just had somebody to love me, oh, look on the television set. What a sweet face. I'm in love. There's the being right addict. You know, when someone's feeling the underlying insecurities of not being right, then the addiction comes forward of, but I'm right. You're wrong. It's settled. Why argue the abuse addict, self-abuse, abuse abuse of others happens in both directions. You look at uh, people who are cutters and that's abuse of self, but the, Abuse addict can also be locked into abuse of others. And the blame addict. Well, I'll just find somebody to blame, and then everything will be just fine. So if you find yourself under stress and in some sort of pain or turmoil, and you enter into a conversation about anybody other than yourself, you're probably a blame addict. If you're under stress, if the hostility or fear is up, rather than lashing out or reaching out to someone else, stop, go inside. The reality management worksheet is the perfect tool, the wake-up sheet, to wake up from these addictions is the idea. And so if you find yourself in wanting to talk about somebody else, about what somebody else did, how somebody else is, and what's wrong with somebody else, that's the place to stop. Take a breath, pull out a worksheet, and what happens is when you utilize the wake up sheet, what happens is the core of the tool of forgiveness collapses whatever the picture world is that you're wanting to blame, and you get to drop into the next level of your own mind. Enter into, when you're in pain or turmoil, enter into a conversation about yourself. And you'll find yourself developing the skill of being able to go more and more deeply into the hidden parts of your own mind. And as you access the hidden parts of your own mind, they'll tend to disappear. And then there's the figuring it out addict. If I could just figure this out, then everything would be okay. And I'll offer that. Whatever's going on in your life, I don't care what it is. If the stress is up and the chips are down, You can't figure it out. It just isn't possible. And so if you're addicted to managing your stress, and several of these tie into one of the major addictions on the planet, and that is using denial to manage stress. And what is denial? Once again, thinking or speaking about someone else when there's something going on inside of me, as though that which is going on inside of me is their fault. And so there's some of the, uh, the major pseudo solutions of the addicted mind. And so very much, I, I don't remember the gentleman's name, but I believe he's a Swedish gentleman who wrote a book. He works a lot in the prisons. I kind of connected with him through some prison work that I did. And he wrote a book entitled, we're all doing time. Basically saying it doesn't matter whether you're behind bars If you're in a prison in the world Between your ears you're just as in prison As the person behind bars Actually the person behind bars Might have an advantage Because they're being housed, they're being fed And they've got lots of time To do their inner work So Recognizing that These things can take a hold of us Then you realize that everybody's addicted. Pretty much everybody's addicted to something. The key way to tell what you're addicted to is when the stress is up and the chips are down, what do you reach for with which to manage your stress? As opposed to, do you have tools? Do you reach for tools with which to alleviate your stress? It's our invitation is to acquire those tools. We have a whole set of them on our website. There's a section that Jeannie has created for people who are taking the approach of the 12-step work and uh, tying in with the forgiveness process. And we invite you to take advantage of those tools if you go to whyagain.org. If you scroll down the page a little bit, you'll see a red and white bullseye. Click on that bullseye. It'll give you the whole story. There are several links that will walk you right through the whole forgiveness process. And, of course, we're here five days a week, an hour a day, to have a conversation with you and to support you. And uh, I appreciate everybody who who comes to play and becomes part of the process. Dr. Tim, are you with us today? And how do you be, sir? How did the uh, support group go last night?
3: I'm here, and um, I think it went uh, swimmingly well. We did... um the first full hour of Introduction to A Course in Miracles with Advanced Understanding. And of course, that every time we show that, it stimulates plenty of conversation about what is this thing we call reality and how our perception is. At one and the same time, keeping us in touch with our environment and separating us from it, and trying to help people understand the concept that perception is meant as an attack on God, and and then fielding questions. Um, There were so many questions, there weren't many people in the group, there were only five of us, but five people plus me and then a couple of people showed up late later in the in the discussion but the discussion was so lively that it took the whole time and we didn't do any actual worksheets we just tried to answer people's questions about helping them wrap their mind around being and observing rather than trying to do 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 to get rid of emotional discomfort or negative thoughts and how to begin to use words to usher people into an experience that's more calm, focused, observing, allowing and loving rather than tense and angry and trying to force things to be different so it was um, it was It was another wonderful group. Um, It's always a challenge to try to come up with words and agree on words and at the same time understand that even though we're saying we agree on the meaning of a word, each of us in the room who is hearing it may have a completely different experience of what that, that means. And so we want to be careful that we're using the tools in a practical sense to improve our our experience in life rather than just trying to accumulate knowledge that says, well, now I know this and now I know that, and so I'm right, and that's all that's, that needs to be said. <clears throat> so that's a, you love- know, as, you, as, as you know, that's a very challenging video because it starts out trying to help people understand or at least begin to ask the question, what if all of my perception is limited perception? And what if all of my pain comes from limited perception, my emotional pain? What were you gonna say, Michael? Uh just you said,
2: just the um the rec well, I was gonna ask a question. One, when was the last time you guys watched the uh, What is the World?
3: Um, I mean, if you watched it one. recently, probably the latest, within uh, the last
2: month? Okay. So, with the question of you know perception being an attack on God, that might be uh, a good one to watch next because that's that's the major focus of that particular lesson. And I think it's uh, really uh, probably would open the space for for that to uh, to become clear for everybody.
3: Yep, well, we we had the people, you know, doing discussions around that and, you know, the capital W world versus the small W world and there were all kinds of discussions about how The Course in Miracles is so wordy and circular at times in its um, use of pronouns that aren't, you know, clarified. And so if you study it, if you read it over and over again, it's possible to make, make it make sense. Um the issue is it's also possible because it's vaguely written in certain ways, for somebody else to use it like people use the Bible to argue the opposite point. And you know, we were talking about how when we find somebody like the Michael Rice videos or there's a collection of quotes from uh Course in Miracles that I forget the name of it right now, but somebody mentioned And I've seen that one before. When it's done and people distill meanings from a paragraph or a lesson and they make it make sense with all the pronouns lined up the right way and it's in line with the loving message of the whole rest of the book, then I resonate with that. When it's taken and moved out of alignment with this whole loving message, then I just, yeah, I can see how they can look at those words and interpret them to mean this other thing, but if it doesn't line up with the whole message, it's like what you were talking about, the way you interpreted the Kiboros manuscript, was everybody went off and did their own definitions, and they brought them back, but they had to be, number one, a consensus among the translators, and number two, Completely coherent with All of the other loving message From everything else that had been translated So that was all part of the discussion Last night
2: Cool well, You know there's a, a great line in the course That says a universal theology Is
3: impossible
2: In other words it's never. Nobody's ever going to come together Around the words and, and get it And understand it because as you say Everybody's got di- different meanings for the words And so a universal theology? Absolutely impossible. That's why the first thing I do when I get up in front of a Course in Miracles group, in letters as big as I can write on the board, I say, Don't study a Course in Miracles. And everybody kinda of gets all wiggly and wiry and it's like, What do you mean don't that's where we're a Course in Miracles study group? We'll stop studying a course and learn forgiveness. Because as you and, and this is the genius of what Yeshua put together two thousand years ago and repeated in the course, is if you collapse the mind often enough consistently enough persistently enough you will have an experience and everybody will have the same experience now they'll come back out of the experience they'll have different words for it they'll talk about it differently and you know we're back into the world of words but but if one can have that direct experience of the truth of who they are and the truth of who others are that just shifts everything in the world of words but it is it is never going to come. I mean, I'm on a couple of different message boards of the course, and the discussions and the the convoluted, you know, but the course says this, 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 and this, and I keep interjecting, yeah, but have you done any forgiveness around it? One person actually texted back to me or wrote back to me on this message board and said, uh, let's see, what are the words, that, that, you want me to do that old, that useless old practice of forgiveness? <laughs> this is someone who's an advocate of A Course of Miracles. It's like, well, okay, I understand that you don't understand what forgiveness is, so you can't do it, so now you're mentally masturbating with words and, and trying to figure it out and trying to make it sound good and look good and you're using all the right words but you notice behind it there's that little twinge of accusation of that other person on the board and you're telling them what's wrong with them and I mean it just goes on and on and on and and trying to do it with words and you know it's like God we've got what 32,000 different sects of Christianity all from the same book <laughs> all from the same guy <laughs> And, of course, you know, if we've got 7 billion people on the planet practicing a particular so-called religion, there'll be 7 billion different religions because everybody's got different brain cells for it. But, again, to me, the genius of collapse, 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 forgive collapses the mind, forgive collapses, and you start to walk into an experience, and that just changes everything, so... It's a pretty sweet tool to have. And, of course, if one has turned to some sort of an addiction and they do that work of forgiveness, of collapsing the pained perception that they have, as that perception begins to dissolve via the presence of love, then what my experience is is that people just give up their addictive patterns, whatever they are whatever the addiction's about, they drop it. And, you know, I mean, I've seen people over the years who, you know, alcohol is their daily friend, and and they just come to the point after doing forgiveness work for a while where it's just like, you know, I don't even even want to pour it in the glass anymore. I just can't be bothered with it. And I think because they're experiencing the deleterious effect of it rather than the pain-relieving effect of it as an anesthetic. And uh, so enter, you know, we invite everybody to really make a focal point of your daily practice of washing your mind. It's just like, you know, nobody would think about going a week without washing their bodies. But they go weeks, months and years without even a bar of soap for the mind (laughs) with no clue that the mind can be washed. The brain, the mind, the function of the content of the mind with its hostility and fear-based information with forgiveness is cleansed, It's cleaned. It's The garbage is moving out. And, and then, you know, this body-mind unit becomes a fit space for the true being that we are to show up. And my experience over the years of people who are locked into alcohol and drugs is that they are so sensitive and they came into the world where there was nowhere for them to land. And the pain that developed out of that is the driver for the addiction and forgiveness addresses the underlying and unconscious pain begins its dissolution as it dissolves the draw to the addictive substance is nil so that's what we're here to support and uh Jeannie, do we have anybody in the chat room with a hand up or anybody in the phone queue Chat room with a message ha- and a full queue with a hand up. Pardon me, turn that <laughs> I around. I <laughs> knew,
1: I knew what you meant. No, it's quiet in the you. chat room, but we do have a hand up on the
2: switchboard. Oh, cool. Let's say hello.
1: It's five four one. It may be Julie from Ashland. Five four one. You're are on you the Are you up air.
2: there, Julie? Area code five four one. You are locked and loaded. <clears throat>
0: Oh, oh, I'm here.
2: I'm oh, here. Oh, you're there. Oh, good. We're glad you're there. How are you? <laughs> you
0: know I mean? No, I'm not. I'm, I'm on the phone. Okay. Oh. Okay. I was just on another call that came through after I pushed number one. And, oh, my gosh. Hi. Perfect timing. <laughs> it's
3: okay. Julie. Good. You're I'm back.
0: Yes. Yeah, so, um, right. Thanks for hanging in there for me. And um, I missed some of the last comments, but I was uh, wanted to ask you of something about evil. And um, I, in the context of today's subject and theme of recovery and, and addiction I heard you talking about, I'm thinking that my addictions are all stemming from my imagined fear, my fear of an imma- imagined evil, that there is the evil in the world, that there is a evil, and and there are those who are evil and practice it. And this came up in a conversation last night in a group talking about who to vote for and the whole classic cliché of voting for the lesser of two evils. So um, I was basically saying hold the light and the love and the truth of who you are and vote from your conscience. And don't worry about the strategy of having to vote for the one that's the least bad. And But anyway in the context of uh, my own personal addiction, I'm pretty sure that I sedate myself and keep my life on a so-called even keel because I am actually uh, in – I have a thought pattern of being in fear of something that really is evil, that it really is real and it's really out there. And um, and then I just want to balance that with that I do usually – um, think it through when I'm not in the reaction resonance of it and I get to the other side that there is um, no need to fear evil because it isn't real to begin with from my Course in Miracles work and so I wherever I am in the spectrum today I guess I'm I was convinced last night that there is evil, and what are we going to do about it, you know, with this election, and how can we ever, you know, bring down evil, right? Get rid of it. <laughs> so what what would you say about evil and its relationship possibly to how we sedate ourselves to because of our fear of evil? Well, <laughs>
2: 2,000 years ago, Yeshua said, resist not evil. Mm-hmm. In other words... If you put your focus on what you perceive to be evil, then you just became a supporter and an assistant creator of it. So Mm -hmm. the first order of business would be to forgive anything in you that could focus on what you consider to be evil. And then in the Aramaic, the word evil is the word unright or incomplete. Mm. It actually has two shades of meaning. If uh, if I have a, a a green banana, we actually, Dale, Allen Hoffman used this in the Aramaicisms video that we did when we talked about evil. And he had three bananas. And so here's a green banana. This banana is evil. He had this very brown, soft, mushy banana. This banana is evil. And they had a nice bright yellow banana. And this banana is not evil. This banana is whole and ripe. So the one context for the word evil is unripe, incomplete. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, we're all evil. We're all Mm -hmm. unripe. We're all incomplete. And then in the second sense, the word evil in Aramaic relates to the word sin, where the word sin is an archery term and you fire at the target. And if you miss the bullseye, the scorekeeper yells sin, you're off the mark. And if you miss the target altogether, then the word evil would be used to describe missing the target altogether. So it's an energetic dynamic of being either on target in support of human life or off target in support of human life. And there's certainly lots of off target stuff that's happened on the planet and going on on the planet when it comes to supporting human life. Mm Okay.
0: Mm
3: -hmm.
2: when you recognize that it's an absence of perfection or completion it's an absence of the light when the Course is talking about it doesn't exist what it's it's meaning is it is not a positive presence like something that has substance of its own You know, nobody has ever created a flash dark
0: Mm
2: -hmm. that you push this little Mm -hmm. button and all the light goes out because well, you have a flash dark. Denial.
0: denial would be a flash dark. <laughs> I'm just
2: well, kidding. Well, <laughs> denial is a way of dissociating different different topics. But, okay. but okay. nobody has created, you know, here we are sitting in the room together. I have this little device in my hand. I push the button and it's a flash dark and all the light goes out. Because the the light is a positive presence. When mm-hmm. you remove that presence then the room is dark. It's an absence. It's not a positive presence. If okay. I get lost in the energy that's off the mark that I call evil, the energy that's off target, then I join in voiding the presence of light. If I do mm-hmm. my own work, then I come forward and I presence the light. Instead of resisting what actually is a negation Mm -hmm. by presence light and when enough people instead of being tricked by that which is not supporting human life come forward in support of human life then Mm -hmm. when that hits critical mass then that's what's going to take over the direction of the energy system and the shift is going to change and there has been so much darkness on the planet there has been so much insanity go down, so much of a lack of the presence of love and the experiences and the pain and the trauma that I'd offer is stored in the genetics of so many people that who wants to go there and who wants to clean up that mess? Let's just have a drink mm-hmm. that we won't have to feel. Our invitation is, yes, we all have that, the pain from the absence of that which supports human life. We all have that within us from our family systems and from generations and generations and generations of incalculable insanity. The question becomes, now we can sit around, of course, and debate the the darkness until the cows come home, or we can be the presence of light, the presence of love. So the focus of this work is I become responsible for any darkness in me and I forgive it. As Carl Jung says, we do not become enlightened by imagining figures of light. We become enlightened by bringing our darkness to the light. So when I bring my darkness, my hate, my anger, my grief, my rage, my fear, my pain, my drama, my trauma, I talk about me. I work through my issues rather than every time something like that moves in me, I look at somebody else and puke on them. When I am able to address that, which is mine, then I can become a presence rather than an absence in darkness. Mm
3: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And
2: as enough people wake up as a presence, then there's got to be a shift in the energy. And, you know, the, uh, the, the pain and the trauma that so many people have experienced without the constructive tools for working through it has become mm-hmm. so prevalent. And <clears throat> the media is so well refined to put energy forward that if we buy it, it goes into our energy systems that it takes a big commitment to keep working to clean and clean and clean the mind, the genes of their past perceptions of darkness. And exactly.
0: that's
2: the work. Yeah. That's the work. So each oh, individual that says, much. okay... Instead of a fifth of scotch, I'm going to put the fifth of scotch down, and I'm going to be with this pain in myself. And then as I take the tools, constructively working through the pain and delete the pain, do I still feel like I want the fifth of scotch? Guess what? I'm not going to want the fifth of scotch at that moment. And so by doing one's inner work, (laughs) one frees themselves from the inclination toward addiction, and they become
3: a powerful
2: Positive presence where there is darkness.
0: So, is there a scripture that says, I will, I think you said it, I will resist no evil or I will fear no evil?
2: Well, Yes, in yes, other words, it says, no. well, well, I think there's a line there, something like, I will fear no evil for I am the meanest SOB in the valley or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> no, because because I know that if you, if you look at that passage, you know, fear not evil for there is a power in you that is always with you. That if you're not tricked by the darkness, that you presence the light, then you dissolve the darkness. You free yourself mm-hmm. of it. And Yeshua says, resist not mm-hmm. evil. In other words, what you think is off the mark instead of fighting against it, that doesn't mean don't expose it. That doesn't mean don't hold it accountable. That does mean don't play with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, I think personally right. that on the ballot, on the ballot box, in the ballot box, every ballot should have a binding option that people can vote for, and that is none of the above. And if none of the mm-hmm. above wins, then every candidate that's been involved has to excuse themselves from the process, and it has to start over. That would eliminate this lesser of two evils game. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. I think a lot of people have thought of that and so that's a good one to re- implement. We need to do that.
2: Yes, it would work. It would work.
0: <laughs> it would. Well, um thank you so much for that. And so if I don't give my willingness to fearing evil, then I have my my willingness available for something else
2: to design. Precisely.
0: Yeah. Okay, I really. And and, and I'm going
2: to I'm yeah. going to you know there's there's the old uh, Middle Eastern adage that says trust in Allah and tie your camel. <laughs>
3: you know
2: you don't go to the the darkest, dingiest, most violent part of town and sit there and you know sing hymns to people. And expect that everything's going to turn out all right because chances are it's not going to turn out all right. It's not Mm -hmm. going to work so well. So you trust in the truth and the principles and the tools that you have and use them, and you don't go walking out and putting your head on the chopping block. And if there are places where there are behaviors, you know, one of my early mentors is a man who got to deal with every kind of drug and alcohol abuse you can imagine he was a superior court judge in albany georgia he was the next thing to a saint you know i mean he was just amazing his name was judge acid d kelly he'd actually been the head of prisons in the state of georgia which is a rough rough place and then became a superior court judge and judge kelly put thousands of people in prison over his tenure on the bench but he never punished anybody he would explain to them and and I mean this man was serious. He kept love present in his courtroom, and somebody came before him that had committed some heinous crime, and in Albany, Georgia, there's some pretty heinous crimes go down, and he'd basically say, "I love you like a brother." And your community, This is, these are the words he would use. Your community took up a collection to build a building with bars to put people in that aren't safe in the community. And I love my community, and therefore, you not being safe in this community, I'm going to put you behind bars. And if you want to heal, I will create a path for you to heal. And it was actually Judge Kelly's request that ended up creating or having us create the laws of living course. That's where laws of living came from was a request from court judges. Like we want something remedial for these people that, you know, all we know how to do is lock them up. And the, you know, we, we lock them up for so long, they're out in the street for so long and then they're back in. And then we lock them up and they're out in the street. and Then they're back in. We need something to repair that. And we cut recidivism by over 90% in his jails. (laughs)
3: Sheriff
2: didn't like it. Sheriff didn't like it at all. As a sheriff, without a business, but hmm. don't expect criminal justice yes. anytime soon to be want to rid of criminality because it's its bread and butter. Uh-huh. What if yeah, we that... set the criminal? What if we set the criminal justice system up so that its focus and its function was to bring healing to all criminality on the planet? rather than to bring punishment and penance, the old penance system, to everyone on the planet. It'd be a different game. Mm-hmm.
0: So the bananas analogy, both of the the brown and the green bananas are not ripe.
2: They're evil, And so correct. an
0: addiction would be to still try to follow the rotten banana or the green banana, you know, conflicting goals and the way it used to be and the way I want it to be. And rather than wait for the ripeness. And so when we're willing to let go of all the resonances of evil inside us, then we might be in a state of neutral instead of the next addiction or the next, what should I do about it? Right. And so if we wait for the ripeness, we'll be guided and shown you know, by the light. Go
2: ahead. You will be the space of conscious acts of present love.
3: Mm-hmm. That's
2: what you will be.
3: And, mm-hmm.
2: you know, here's the, the beauty of it. If you go back to the creation mm-hmm. story where we hear about all these things being created and it says God said that it was good and God said that it was good and God said that it was good. That's the label given to everything. That word good mm-hmm. in the Aramaic is not good as in good and bad, but rather that it was in its proper place in its perfect time. So Mm. our most painful experiences are good because when an experience occurs that resonates pain in us, if we've got the tools and the awareness, we recognize, oh, I have some pain to work through here. Thank you for this being in its proper place. This, you know, what yesterday my mind would have said was a terrible experience. Thank you, life, for delivering that experience to me. I can see now that it was in its proper time. You know, you look back at so many experiences that you've had that at the time they were happening were absolutely terrible, and today you look at them and go, wow, that was one of the best things that ever happened to me. Well, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. When it happened, why didn't I see it? Because my perception was feeding me something that wasn't ripe something that wasn't seeing the ripeness of this experience. And therefore, I had to wait maybe a year or two or five or ten to receive the gift of that experience.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you, Michael. That's uh, really valuable. I'm going to re-listen to this. And I also loved Monday's discussion um from the course of miracles um so i just keep it coming (laughs) i love it
2: (laughs) thank you that's the plan we're on (laughs) it
0: Uh, (laughs) all right okay i'll give love and blessings yes love and blessings to you too bye
2: all right take care bye-bye so our calling number if you're on a station where we can't see you in our control panel uh, and or you're in the chat room and you want to talk to us, call number is 646-200-4169. If you push one, you're in the phone queue, that'll put a hand up and Jeannie will know you want to talk to us. Sweetheart, do you have any uh, any callers or anything happening in the chat room to be aware of?
1: No, no hands up. Now, if anybody who is one of our regular people that talks to us during uh, Recovery Wednesday, press one. Oop, we just had two hands go up.
3: Fabulous! Let's okay. go
1: for it. The first one is area code eight zero eight. You're on the air. Hi, um, this is Roma Carlisle.
4: Uh, Michael, you knew me. Well, hey you there, Franklin. young lady. Yeah, twenty oh, years ago. Oh my Yeah. Gee, <laughs> we I'm were just in...
2: sitting
3: working.
2: We were just sitting working on the database this morning,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and you ran across my mind, and I was wondering where is roma these days the last time i saw you you'd just gone through some sort of an initiation process but this is about maybe oh 50 minutes ago so delighted you're here <laughs> well, i don't know whether you. i heard you coming or you heard me mentioning it but somewhere the vibration occurred because it has been a yeah. long time
4: well i got on your Where's website yesterday so you may have picked up on it just intuitively Cool. yeah um so how are you, What's the you have, where i I'm glad you have this uh radio program so that we can tune in and connect every now and then
2: so am i uh-huh so how are and, you where are you give me a quick quick thumbnail
4: I'm in Maui Hawaii Oh, I've
2: nice. been here oh, since two thousand
4: and nine yeah uh-huh nice and I spent two and a half years in India uh in the ashram of an enlightened master and then i moved here
0: and um
4: yeah so um you know life still happens and um saturday i offered uh, a friend of mine has this woman who was born in in africa who lives here in maui uh, has an autistic 15 year old child and she is with that child 24 7 she does homeschooling and this and that and the other thing and she called me on Thursday night last week and said, could you could you watch after Tulonga for just three hours on Saturday? And I said, I'd love to. So um, it was an interesting experience. The three hours went beautifully. In fact, in the phone call uh, that I had the next day with her, she said, he's had a breakthrough. And I said, why, what do you mean? And she said, "He told, he talked to me because um, I guess autistic children don't talk. He didn't talk much to me, but when he got home, he, ta- he told his mother everything that we had done. I drove him off the mountain, and we went down to the park, and he was skipping like a five-year-old. It was so cute. And um, so we had a lovely time for um, two hours and 57 minutes. And the last three minutes of that three-hour time he, uh, we had just eaten lunch out front, and um, he, uh, I, I said, let's go in the house. He's allergic to my cat, so we couldn't spend any of this time in my house. But I knew his mother was coming, so I said, let's go in the house. I picked up the dishes. I was kind of balancing them, hope, hopefully, uh, that, I, that they wouldn't fall and break. And suddenly the fire alarm went off, and he had gone around the corner and seen this red object, which is designed to attract a human being's attention and um the words uh, pull here on the white handle so you know he knows how to read so he pulled it oh so it was chaos it was utter chaos um so that is what um uh I I spoke to his mother the next day and um she, I Tried to explain to her that um, that I I I haven't been around children, and, uh,
2: so Please. it's a little bit frightening let's, let's of saying yes. Let's let's, let's 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 stop the conversation for just a minute. Yeah. Let's just take a couple of deep breaths. Yeah. Sounds like some grief there.
4: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well it may be that my relationship with her is over and that's uh because she she i used the word fear i explained to her that i felt a little fear about the idea of taking care of him and she said fear she had some kind of a charge on fear and she no. totally freaked out and, um, I, you know, I, I loved what I saw yesterday on the website. You said you can't, and I remember you saying this 20 years ago, that the brain can, can only handle one thing at a time from moment to moment. It's, it's focused on either love or fear or hostility or whatever, you know. But right. uh, I kept, I, I was totally on, on target the entire time. Otherwise, her son wouldn't have had a breakthrough and talked about it. But it broke my heart. It really, it was heartbreaking. So I did a worksheet. So can I... So I did a worksheet. I just want to say one more thing. I did a worksheet, and the emotion, I said, was fear, right? And the fear was of losing the friendship and, you know, abandonment issues and stuff like that. But uh, I was driving uh, somewhere yesterday, and I thought to myself, but The Course in Miracles teaches that everything is love and fear, right? It's either love or fear. And fear is love's absence. And fear
2: is love's absence. Yeah. But
4: when we do the worksheet, we have the option of, of checking fear or hostility. And I know that you created this worksheet from The Course in Miracles. So I was questioning. I was driving along and I was questioning and I thought,
0: why are they both there?
4: Because I've always felt that from fear, all the other things that we would label as negative, such as hostility, was born. Uh, That's the way I interpreted the Course in Miracles. But then I kind of answered my own question. I thought, well, fear is more of a receptive, female kind of receiving thing, and hostility is more assertive, more aggressive, more male thing. And I was wondering if that was actually in your mind, when you actually designed the worksheet with both of those things rather than just love and fear?
2: Uh, Well, actually the worksheet was not designed out of the Course of Miracles. Actually, the worksheet came out of, no, no. The worksheet came out of the first century Aramaic teachings of Yeshua. And I would uh, agree with you that hostility is a subset of fear. But it seems that it's become such a Prevalent thing in our culture that in the brain it has uh, or an almost independent existence. When you what, see what, me what write it, you it, notice I usually. What has an
4: independent existence? Hostility.
2: Hostility. Yeah, uh-huh. you'll notice that I write it with fear slash hostility. Exactly. Reflecting that they, that they are one, but right. they function when hostility is active. Uh-huh. A whole different mindset occurs than when fear is active,
4: and it's a totally it different energetic that, phenomenon.
2: Yes, yes. Yeah. Although it's uh-huh. based in the fear, it still is that energetic. But right. what I'd like to do for a minute is is roll back in the conversation to where you oh, told yes. us how uh, it was breaking your heart. It was heartbreaking, yeah. And yeah. it's
4: not and, uh, it's not resolved. Um, yeah. It, we got to a point. I we tried. I we tried so hard. I tried so hard to stay with her, and uh, finally, I was just all I could do was be silent. And she went into silence. And then, after about a minute and a half, she suggested that maybe we should talk about this another time. And I said that's a good idea. And we hung up. And that's how it ended. It you know it was mm-hmm.
1: it's very sad.
4: So anyway, mm-hmm. um,
2: so, so mm, can can we. Investigate this whole thing? Are you open sure. to coaching on that for a minute? Okay. Yeah.
4: Yeah. So
2: with this work, and you know, back 20 years ago, I didn't have this clarity on denial that I have now, mm-hmm. but our definition of denial that we functionally use in this work now is when I think or speak as though something outside of me is causing something to happen inside of me, mm-hmm. then I'm in denial.
3: Right.
2: So in the example, oh, in our, yeah, our words tell our that, minds... That
4: was present twenty years ago.
2: Yeah. Well not yeah. not on the clarity level, but in any event.
4: Yeah, I'm sure so I'm sure yeah. when
2: mm-hmm. when I speak or think as though that causes this in me right. then the thing that I most need to heal, which is what causes this in me, mm-hmm. I just associated from. Thing, so when I say, say, say
4: that is the thing that that okay. causes me to heal,
2: the, no. So let's say in this case the, the sensation say that or the again. feeling, I didn't, yeah, okay. okay, the sensation or feeling of a broken heart, right, is something that's going on inside of me.
4: Yeah, it's present. When I, uh-huh. okay, so
2: when I when I. When I live in denial, I'm going to ask you to just hold your conversation and just stay okay. with me because I want to complete a thought here. <laughs> okay. So when I, when I live in denial, that is, that broke my heart, then the thing, the energy that's, quote, unquote, breaking my heart is inside of me and I dissociate from it with those words and I create a picture that this thing outside of me is the thing that's breaking my heart. Mm-hmm. So now the very energy that I need to address in order to heal what I call my broken heart, I've mm-hmm. dissociated from. I've hidden it from myself. It's now hidden Boom. somewhere inside of me, and I can't access it. The love. Is that the love? No. That we
4: eventually get no. to at the end of the sheet?
2: No. Okay. No. All right. No. When I say... That created this sensation of a broken heart in me,. Mm-hmm. I hide from myself the energy in me that creates a sensation of a broken heart, right. Now that I've hidden it, I can't heal it.
4: Well, that's what I reached for a worksheet because i I cool. you know I know about that I mean, I, yeah, that's why I work for the reach for a worksheet. Because I have knew it. that it was that it that it was sourced inside of me, and right. that I wanted to be clear if I ever do speak to her again, you know.
2: Yeah. So, so my input mm-hmm. would be, you have that knowledge in your head, mm-hmm. but it's not in your heart yet.
4: It's still because reflective. you're still talking.
2: You're 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 still using words that reflect that you think that caused your broken heart.
4: Right. Right. Right.
2: And, well, and this to... sensation, I'll just ask the question, this sensation mm-hmm. of a broken heart uh-huh. that, you know, the words you use to describe whatever that sensation is,
3: mm-hmm.
2: if you think back to two weeks ago and for the whatever number of years you've been on the planet before that, did you know that sensation of a broken heart? Oh, yes. So, so my input yeah. would be that that, there's a part of your mind that's still convinced that something outside of you is what breaks your heart. Mm-hmm. Even though in your intellect you know that's not true. You've been around well, the, I, the, the teaching long enough.
4: Yeah, I've been reclusing for a year and a half mm-hmm. uh, in order to yeah. actually um, have the opportunity to actually be with me and um, mm-hmm. um, move through that reflexive reaction to what appears to be out there in an external world that we give power to and say it broke my heart, yeah right. I, I, yeah mm-hmm. cool.
2: uh, it, okay well i 'm going to complete that because i 've got one other piece of information i 'd like to pass on, and we 've only got about a minute minute left, oh, so i 'm going oh, to just oh. quickly throw out another thought and and we can if if you want to, it'd be wonderful to continue this conversation tomorrow, so we could carry, but in case we don 't get to do that, I want to throw out another thought, and that would be that remember that a person who has an autistic child. Has probably been so dissed and pushed away and um, treated less than kindly than any of us can even start to imagine.
4: I know. Can even start to imagine.
2: Yeah. And so. I'd invite you to yeah. be soft and breathe into and heal this pain that causes your sensation of a broken heart and then to be yeah. able to come forward to her in compassion and perhaps exactly. create the space for all of the energy that she's just unconsciously absorbed and been beaten and abused with perhaps since the child was born.
3: Yeah.
2: Uh, and, and just create oh. that space for her to soften and, and let free of all of that and together you heal yeah. and
3: Yeah.
4: yeah. Yeah. So it's just an hour phone call. This
2: radio show is an hour a day, five days a week.
4: Yeah. Okay, one hour a day. Because uh, on the website, I thought it said two hours.
2: We're down to ten seconds. It's going to cut us off.
3: <laughs> let's let's continue okay. the
2: conversation tomorrow. Everybody have the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome awesome gift to give the world blessings.